0: Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And my guest this evening is Steve Rogers. He's been acting for over 30 years on the stage, as well as film and television. You might have seen him in productions at Belvoir in Every Brilliant Thing, Cloud Street, Jasper Jones, or one of my favourites, The Pillow Man, at a Sydney theatre company in Rifle Mind, Three Sisters, Dance Better at Parties and Democracy, or at Griffin Theatre in Eight Gigabytes of Hardcore Pornography, or Diving for Poles, which I just watched on The Australian live theatre website. And it's just an extraordinary production from 2017 with Steve joined by Ursula Jovich in a wonderful production. And gee, it's great to see some theatre again, even online in the meantime. He's been in many other stage shows, including productions with Bell Shakespeare and Ensemble. He's also a writer with his adaptation of Jesus Wants Me for a Sunbeam for the stage, as well as Food with Force Majeure, Ray's Tempest, which was shortlisted for the Patrick White Award, Savage River, and King of Pigs. And he's joining me to talk about the craft of the stage from his unique perspective and his life in general. Thanks for coming on the show, Steve Rogers.
1: Thank you, Regina. It's so lovely to be here.
0: So I generally always like to get an idea of the world people come from, so I'm wondering where you were born and maybe how that might have influenced your life in the theatre. So what was life like for you as a young boy?
1: I was born in Newcastle, in Charlestown, in Merriweather. But quite early on, I moved to Launceston, Tasmania, where my dad took up a job down there. So I grew up, my formative years from a young kid were in Launceston, Tasmania, up until the end of my schooling, really.
0: Wow, that would have been like a, a picturesque kind of childhood, I am, um, in my mind. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah Launceston was beautiful. It was, look, I think, it, unlike a lot of Australia, it actually is very reminiscent of England and parts of Northern England. Uh, it's a very foggy winter, uh, wet, uh, cold, um, but a beautiful bush. I spent a lot of my time down the east coast of Tasmania. And on the west coast of Tasmania, mutton birding and fishing and diving for abalone. Um, we had a shack down near Binelong Bay that I used to go to a lot, oh, which wow. tourist brochures now call the Bay of Fires, but we used to call Binelong Bay.
0: Oh, right.
1: It was a pretty idyllic existence in that sense, spent outdoors and um In beautiful, beautiful nature.
0: And it would have been a different time then. It's become very kind of the place, a place to visit, a real tourist sort of destination, like you say, the Bay of Fires. Have you seen, like, do you go back there regularly? Yeah,
1: quite often. I still, we have a fishing trip for a a friend of mine that uh, sadly passed away just after we finished school and we go back and have an inaugural fishing trip for him, which is really more about just getting together and (laughs) um, cooking fish chowder and flathead and catching up uh, and reminiscing on old stories but yeah it was a wonderful place to grow up because it's um it it actually has a kind of um i don't know there's a i still if i I think about walking around port arthur or out in queenstown on the west coast or it actually has a kind of haunting atmosphere to it Mm. and i felt that as a kid so it kind of gives to storytelling i think
0: was there any theater growing up for you then or was it just nature and the hauntedness of, of the times down there
1: no, definitely. It was, um, uh, I did my first performance as Wee Willy Winky at Max Fry Hall oh. in uh, Trevallon in Launceston. And okay. I immediately uh, remember the feeling of being captured by, you know, particularly an audience laughing at you. And I saw a production, a high school production, when I was still in primary school of Oliver. And oh, right. I remember coming out of it with my mum and brothers and sisters and not being able to contain my my happiness in a way that that you could pretend like that, and I remember that feeling of just wanting to run. Um, I was so excited by that possibility of pretend. So very early on, and I remember I used to swim as a kid, and I don't know that's kind of weird in Tasmania, a yeah. cold such a cold place. But um, I remember sitting in the my valiant a valiant station wagon with my dad one morning before going into swimming training, and. After him seeing me in a play in year three or four, you know, just on stage, and suggesting to me at such an early age that um, I might even want to think about wow. um, going to an acting wow. school. Um, so he had already picked up um, some sort of gift that existed that I could step up on stage and make people laugh, and that it, that I might have even had a future in it way back then.
0: That's amazing. Did were they creative in their own way?
1: They were. There were always books. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, A lot of literature around the house, but no, we were never really, you know, there was a guitar, but it often had broken strings. (laughs) Um, There was no piano lessons. There were no, uh, there was no, you know, real emphasis on, so it was really born out of school, Uh Um, the music teachers at school and the drama lessons at school. I had two particularly influential drama teachers at high school, a guy called Peter Stanley. And a guy called uh, Mr. Sparks, Terence Sparks, and Mr. Sparks was very classical, and he was into Shakespeare. Whereas Peter Stanley was more vaudeville um, and kind of lower brow. And so you kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> and I found I had a love for both. That I love the language of the Shakespeare, but I also love the kind of you know the rambunctious, messy. Uh, form of um, vaudeville that we often did for uh, plays for the parents.
0: So it wasn't behind necessarily in kind of the arts and influence the influence of the arts in learning there? No,
1: very much. No, very much so. It, like it was the oldest Stedford, um, I think, oh. format where you would, where uh, Helen Wiley and I, um, a girl that was um, really interested in drama as well at school, we would do a duologue and you'd go up on the bus to Devonport and it was like almost it was competitive. Like there'd be like six or seven different duologues, and then you'd get a, an yeah. award if everyone thought your duologue was the best.
0: Gee, I haven't thought about of an estedford in so long. Wow, yeah, it was
1: very much that 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 was you kind of your window into seeing. You know, it wasn't workshop based at all. It was very results based. You'd learn a script and you'd work out how to do it, and then you'd perform it. Um, there were improvisation competitions where you were given I even remember the improvisation tag which was uh, new balls please and we had to do a, a three minute improv group improvisation which we won at the Launceston and the Stedford, and we all got a trophy and we you know got our names in the paper the next day which meant a lot and the
0: taste of stardom early
1: <laughs> yeah it was very straight. and then in year 11 my parents moved to the mainland and we I came to Canberra and I was suddenly thrown into the public education system here college system where all the students in year 11 and 12 come together in one college Mm. and suddenly drama took on a very different picture where it was all workshop based and suddenly I was discovering Ibsen and it was much more avant-garde and experimental and um, we would create whole worlds in two hours within the drama room where time didn't exist and you could just concentrate on character and so it was the flip side of the um, (laughs) of what I experienced (laughs) in Launceston.
0: So, from straight from, well, Canberra into university or high school into university, into Nepean? I understand you went to Nepean?
1: Yeah, at the end of year 11 and 12 in Canberra, I I was really interested in media and writing um, still. And I so I didn't audition for NIDA or VCA or any of those top acting schools, but I went for a, a theatre Nepean, which still had a media component. And so did Bathurst um, okay. out in their. their Theatre media program, uh, and I so, but I ended up following a friend, uh, Kristen Boys, to Theatre Nepean at Western Sydney University. So I went straight from Canberra to a two-bedroom flat in Kingswood, opposite the train station, uh, <laughs> to study basically theatre really for three years, but also writing and uh, but it was also a multifaceted course. So we studied dance and visual arts. Mm. And we looked at things like, you know, the futurists and the cubists. and the So it was a, quite a well-rounded arts education at the same time as being very mm. practical in the sense that we were doing scene work every week.
0: Mm. Yes, I went to the dance uh, department. Did you? I did, Western City, many
1: years ago. Are you, you yes. and I a similar age? We probably are. Right?
0: I finished in, in 2000, actually. But I was a late, uh, mature age student, so right. <laughs> we might be the same age. But I was there later. Yeah, I
1: loved um, it out there. It was great. Yeah,
0: and it's so sad that I don't know. It doesn't exist anymore, right? This
1: no, it doesn't exist. Closing
0: either. of university. That sort of um, it. It seems more of a um, embracing kind of environment. Anyway, I'm well, getting off track. I wanted to just come back to writing. Did you have an interest in writing when you were in Tasmania? Because you also mentioned it's kind of good fodder for um, writing as well. Have you written about Tasmania and when did your writing kind of interest start? Was it parallel to the acting?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I dabbled a little bit at school, but not in any real way. So I wrote a play in uh, 1980, was it 87 for International Year of the Peace for school? And I did a whole lot of uh, duologues um, between. Um, different um, warring groups in a way and trying to find common ground. And that got a bit of traction in class um, and with my drama teacher. And I got like a, you know, I can't remember the grade, but, you know, like a a distinction. And so suddenly I was like, oh, that's good. Uh, But then I put it on the back burner and I didn't really, I think I've learned writing through, as I've progressed in my career as an actor and um, because you're made and forced to study story and script every time you go back to rehearsing a play. And so it was inevitable that um, I started to understand structure and character um, and the sweep of a plot and what what plots work and what don't. And that did my second play, Savage River, was set in Tasmania, Um, but that was only after I'd uh, written Race Tempest, which had nothing to do with um, my upbringing in a way. That had more to do with my present circumstances when I wrote it.
0: So what is it? Give me a little idea of what Savage River is, is it based on your life in any way?
1: Yeah, in, we're growing up in Launceston, I had some good friends, uh, the Mansells, who lived around the corner. They were a family of 13 and Indigenous. And I remember Scott and Rowan arguing uh, when we were kicking the footy whether they were Indigenous or not. And uh, at a certain point every year, they would just not turn up to school around March, April, May, March, April, and I wouldn't have any clue where they were, uh, mm. and I'd go by their house, and they weren't there. And then when they finally came back to school, what the story would that they they'd been mutton burning out on Big Dog, Big Dog Island out near uh, the Flinders Islands,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: which is an Indigenous tradition uh, amongst their people. And the story that I wrote in Savage River is really about a um, a boy who hasn't come to terms with his Indigenous identity because it's been hidden from him um and throughout the course of the play he discovers it the sort of the sort of um questions i had for the play were really about like we could have neighbors come up and knock on our door and say to my mum, i don't let steve play with the the mansell boys they're bad news um well so that was inherent racism based on a kind of attitude towards who the, the the mansell boys were and at the same time at school i was getting taught that there were no Tasmanian Aboriginals, that they were extinct. So that kind of confusion as a young 12, 13-year-old boy stayed with me and was the the impetus to write Savage River. Did you go to the island? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I went down to um, Big Dog Island with the permission of a woman called Bernice Condy, who's an elder of the Lady Baron, um, Lady Baron down there. Mm. And I took a tent and initially it was just about observation and I standing in my tent but on the kind of second night they, they were also a bit wary of this you know white guy from Sydney who would come down wanted to know who I was riding it for and mm-hmm. it was a slow process of gaining trust and finally I was invited in um, and not too long after I was mutton birding with them and spent three weeks on the island uh, during that season learning the whole process and becoming a part of a you know a, a kind of a it's like a. I describe it as a big, big family gathering of disparate um, people, and it's also just work for some people who aren't part of the um, the community, but come to the community for just a mutton bird because they it's it's their work. So yeah, that's where the play came from.
0: Okay, and so out of university was it like a natural progression into onto the stage was it easy and what what took you like it sounds like one of those sliding door moments to go to Nepean instead of like m- following media which I oh, look
1: great. I hate to say it but it is one of those cliches I had a crush on Kristen <laughs> <laughs> so I followed a girl uh, oh. and um she it, it it never went beyond a strong a close friendship uh-huh. And she quickly uh, fell in love with another another guy at uni, um, but I I was opened up to kind of well it was it was the first time I'd really tasted um, proper scene work in a sense in terms of naturalism and Stanislavsky and I'd never heard of Brecht and mm. I was suddenly excited by all the things I was learning. I was the youngest in the group. I was seventeen, and there were a group of thirty. I think, 32, 34 students, and the, with the elders being 40 at that stage, um, who was an ex-Anglican minister. And suddenly I was just surrounded with this um, group of people who were from all different parts of the world with a common interest in storytelling and acting, namely acting. And um, I was bitten, I guess. I just loved mm. the the process. And there was a, at, at, at Nepean, there was an old cottage up on the hill from the main, from the campus, which wasn't very big then, and also a, a demountable out in Warrington but the cottage up the hill was like an old house and so we got to do studio work in it and mm-hmm. so if you had a scene in a kitchen you had a real kitchen oh, if you had a scene fantastic. in a bedroom so it was like a being on set and I fell for it big time yeah so yeah uh, it was really about the discovery of a a love I had for something, suddenly I realised I could take it seriously.
0: Mm. So what interests you now or excites you? You said, you know, it was there and it was and that kind of excitement. Now what what excites you?
1: I think still there's a social justice component to the work I like to do, particularly in Mm. my um, writing, like the latest commission that I'm working on for Belvoir Street which I just completed before the latest, this second round of lockdowns and Belvoir are about to read, is called The Future of History. Uh, and that's about a woman who works night shift and her daughter has to write an essay for her HSC English exam in that 24 hours over that night. Um, and it's complicated by a whole lot of things based on the fact that they, they live in a rural, semi-rural um, town that just hasn't got access to the same... Uh, it's it's about class, and it's about mm-hmm. people who haven't got the, who want want to change their life for the better, but because of the circumstances, um, it's difficult. So plays are always existing in a way for me about people who are on the periphery or don't have the same opportunities as everybody else, and what cost that is about trying to be part of. A bigger story. Mm.
0: And what are some of the roles that you've enjoyed playing along your career?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, you, well, you mentioned Pillow Man. Um,
0: oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, I found that difficult and I'm not sure I'd be allowed to play him now. For the
0: content?
1: Yeah, in, in the current environment because he has a disability, an intellectual disability. Mm. Um, and so it's an interesting question for us now about who, who can and who can't um, imagine their way into Uh, another role um, or make believe that is different from yourself in real life Um, so that's a complex one but I I love that play I think eight gigabytes of hardcore pornography has been one of the most difficult roles I played porn addict who um, has to undress in front of the audience and um, (laughs) kind of go to the depths of self-loathing but at the same time find comedy within that
0: I think we find comedy in in people's you know those those depths, don't we?
1: I guess we see ourselves all the time. Um, <laughs> um, in some way, it gives us permission to see ourselves, and that's what's beautiful about it. Like you know, I worked with Philip Seymour Hoffman on Rifle Mind, mm. the Sydney Theatre Company. He directed me in that, and I think one of the biggest lessons I learned in that experience was about the personalization of the work and how much you bring of yourself to it. And the things you don't know are the research, but the the real stuff is bringing your own stories and and experience. To that, to that then uncovering of human being, um, which then you make vulnerable on stage for everybody else to witness. So they can glimpse themselves. And I guess diving for pearls is a bit of that. I really saw um, my grandfather who was a wharfie in Newcastle. Yeah. I said where I was born before we went to Tassie, he was a wharfie on the docks in the days where when he got up to go to work, there would be, you know, 100, 200 guys standing on the wharf and the foreman would pick five of them Um to come in to do the job and the rest would go home empty-handed. And so I carried a lot of that into that role. Cloud Street as an overall experience as a play was one of the most beautiful things I ever experienced because yeah. it was just about the collective and um, I'll never forget the first, the opening night down at the wall uh, over near, it's where it's it's where basically Barangaroo is now, but um, where Dan Wiley jumped into the ocean at the end of the play and there was a collective kind of gasp from the 400 people in the audience and everyone stood and it was as much about the people who witnessed the performance as the people who performed it kind of coming together. Mm. And that really made me understand the communal nature of theatre, that it really is about, I don't know, It's for me it's my church. It's about um, people coming together to experience something uh, communally, even though we all think in individual ways.
0: There's, there's so much in there, like, I, I want to pull apart. I mean, we're going to run out of time. I mean, you talked about the role of disability now and the changing kind of nature of, I suppose, um, the theatre and the practice of theatre. But aside from that, uh, and I want to nod to that, but also the the play Like Every Brilliant Thing and these sort of very difficult topics to to talk about. And can you talk about that experience of Every Brilliant Thing?
1: Yeah, the, Every Brilliant Thing... Was so um, beautiful because I've got two experiences of that. I co-directed that in the first instance with Kate Champion when Kate Mulvaney played the role, and then when Kate got this incredible job um, overseas with an an Amazon series, I was then brought in to take over. And the role was so beautiful because it relied on the audience to improvise scenes and so there was a magic that the audience and performer understood that anything could happen even though it was tightly orchestrated and crafted there were six or seven moments in the night where anything could take place depending on what the audience did and that sort of drama for all of us is, I think, you know, it's closest to stand-up comedy. But, you know, mm. the the older I get, the more I realised how much stand-up is really heavily scripted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of the subject matter of looking at people taking their lives, I've never received such, after the show, so many people coming to me wanting to tell me their own story. Mm-hmm. And I never saw that as a burden in the end. There was, you know, I always had good people to talk to and, you know, <laughs> I'm like everyone. Um, I've had my bits of fair share of you know um, down days and counselling and all of that Um, Mm. but that show was about um, embracing our vulnerability and I guess for me that's really what acting and storytelling is it's um, what makes us what do we share and therefore every brilliant thing was a beautiful personification of um, people coming together to turn pain into something and a brighter one of a better word Mm -hmm. where we could move forward rather than stay in the dark
0: so you've swung you swing between acting and writing. Do you have a preference? Do you um did you have anything that you were meant to be doing now that that apart from I know you said the the future of history, which is a writing work. What about the stage?
1: In terms of acting on stage, no. Um, I just look. I shouldn't even tell the story because it sounds like I'm whinging. But I'm in, I'm I'm a hundred meters on the Canterbury LGA, uh. So I just lost an ongoing television role. Oh. Um. Uh, on a show I won't even mention the show but it's um it was a good role and they wanted to shoot the first two eps uh three weeks ago and I just said oh look I'm really sorry I'm in the Canterbury LGA I'm just mm. hundred meters in on the you know from Marrickville in retrospect, I feel like I, you know, my, my the selfish side wished I had a lied and said that I was having marital problems, and I was actually in Merrickville, um, in the west. But you know, then I would have got COVID and end up on the front page of the, the <laughs> yeah, newspaper. Yeah. So that's that was hard to take initially. But at the same time, it, what I'm learning more and more is, uh, you know, it, even the big roles on television, they don't essentially change your life. The the it's not it's not a fix. The fix is really to keep going back to the work. And the work is about people. And so I guess as I'm getting older, my um, my happy place is at the computer on the second draft. I find the first draft really hard, but the second mm. draft where I can start to craft and look at each choice and go, oh, I can make that better. Oh, I can make that better. Mm. Oh, get rid of that. Oh, that's good. And start to shape and get further and deeper and deeper into the character to the point you know, where I'm just going for a walk with the dog and I'm thinking about what a character should do next. I'm finding that space really lovely.
0: Mm. And, it, it, yeah, and also I am sorry that you lost that role and it. It's not un, un, like, you know, the industry is really suffering at the moment, so I want to sort of nod to the um Addis Benevolent Fund and, and a reminder that, yeah, it's very hard for so many people. Hopefully we will be back in that communal experience again before... Before too long. Steve Rogers, thank you so much for your time. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Regina. I really loved it. And that was actor
0: Steve Rogers. And keep an eye out for Diving for Pearls when it comes up very soon on the Australian Theatre Live website.